New Testament reading for this evening is found in Revelation chapter 14, and I'm going to read actually verses 6 through 13 tonight, which will be our text for this evening. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Revelation chapter 14, beginning at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed, followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep their command, His commands and remain faithful to Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again for the mercy and the grace that is ours through Your Son. Truly, You are a good and gracious God. And we need to hear Your truth as it is in Jesus. For there we find truth that endures through all generations and forever and ever. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to believe, and lives to do as you would have us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved people of God, As we continue on in Revelation 14 tonight, I want to remind you uh, that we're in the last uh, chapter of this fourth vision. This is the fourth vision thus far of the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And we've already looked at the redeemed of the Lord, uh, the 144,000 who represent the whole people of God, Old and New Testament, Old and New Covenant. We, We looked at them in the first five verses of this chapter. And just to remind you there that the 144,000 is the 12 tribes of Israel times the 12 apostles of Christ times 10, the number of completion times 10 again times 10 again, which truly emphasizes the the fullness, the totality, the, the completion of all the number of those who are in Christ. And what we did see uh, last time in those first five verses uh, was the blessedness of those who are in Christ. The blessedness of those who are followers of the Lamb. The name of the Father is written on their foreheads, showing God's ownership, His his protection of them, His perseverance in them. They're these redeemed one of all ages. They sing a new song, the new song of salvation. Uh, With a voice, you know, it it really fills the universe with praise to God. 
And only they can sing this song. And they sing it for all they're worth. They are pure and holy in Christ who has redeemed them from among those on the earth. They belong to the Lord as His firstfruits. The rest of the mankind does not belong to the Lamb and they never will. There is no deceit in the mouths of God's chosen ones here. And there is no fault in them for they are clothed, of course, with the righteousness of Christ. They are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And we need to remember, this is the same 144,000 that were sealed in chapter 7 who were a picture of the church militant. But here in chapter 14, what we see is a picture of the church triumphant in glory. And what do these redeemed ones do? What were we told? They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That's what we even heard this morning, wasn't it? This is our calling to follow Christ. To live for Him. To, to identify ourselves with the Lamb slain and, and not that Lamb that speaks like a dragon. Is that what your life says about you? Are you following the Lamb wherever He leads you? Are you following the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you following the world? Those are the only two choices. But let's move on to the next section of this fourth vision. What we see next, beginning in verse 6, is really kind of a change in the scene. And by that I mean that the first five verses kind of give this beautiful picture of the blessedness of the saints in glory. The church triumphant, I said. But now when we come to verse 16, we're kind of going back now to the conditions on the earth just before the judgment day. In other words, we're returning to those events that occur just before and with the second coming of Christ. And what we're going to see is that there are three warnings that are given to the people who live on the earth by three different angels. Warnings of the coming judgment of God. These warnings are given with an intention of, of bringing them to repent, to turn them away from their sin and turn them to the Lord in true faith. And yet it appears, as we shall see, that these warnings fall on deaf ears. The last part of the chapter, verses 14 through 20, deal with the final harvest in, a, in kind of very graphic terms as we find it in verses 14 through 16, uh, the final harvest, and then the judgment of the wicked as we find it again in very graphic terms in verses 17 through 20. And Lord willing, we will look at that next time. So we're kind of working our way through here. My theme is Christ blesses the redeemed and punishes the unredeemed. This is really part two of that. Previously, we looked at the blessedness of the redeemed. They have the Father's name. They sing a new song. They follow the Lamb. Uh, now, the, tonight, we're going to be looking at the warnings of the final judgment in verses 6 through 13. The warnings of the angels and then the blessedness of the redeemed. The warnings of the angels in verses 6 through 11. The blessings of the redeemed in verses 12 and 13. And Lord willing, next time we'll look at the harvest of the final judgment in verses 14 through 20. Now, the first warning by the first angel comes to us in verses 6 and 7. I want to read those again, just to remind us here. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Notice that the, the first angel is sent to those who dwell on the earth. And so once again, we have this contrast where the, the, the focus really shifts from those who were redeemed in heaven 
uh, in the first five verses to the unredeemed who are on the earth in verses 6 through 11. And so the, the contrast here emphasizes two very different groups of people, two very different destinies. Because after all, there are only, there are only two groups of people in this world, from the beginning of this world to the end of this world. There's the redeemed and the unredeemed. There's the righteous and the wicked. There's the followers of the Lamb and there's the followers of the dragon. And the question always is, who are you following? Those are the only two groups of people and there are only two destinies for all of mankind, either heaven or hell. And we're told here that God sends forth His angel with the everlasting gospel to be be preached to those who dwell on the earth. Uh, One commentator makes the point that the the word for dwell means those who sit on the earth. It was kind of an interesting way to look at that. And he makes this kind of application that this is really a picture of the general attitude of mankind without Christ. Even as they live right on the eve of judgment, even as judgment are coming, they're they're easygoing. They're kind of indifferent. They're, they're unconcerned, right? They're, they're listless. They're careless. They, they don't care about anything. Just the here and now. Uh, they're like someone who's sitting in what they think is kind of a nice, warm, cozy house. But the house is really on fire. And they don't realize that they're about to be engulfed, consumed in the flames of God's judgment. And so this is a picture of the people of this world just before God brings the world to an end. They're generally fascinated with the earthly charms that they see around them. They don't realize that the judgment of God is getting closer and closer and closer until it's too late. Now I want you to notice that the message that this first angel proclaims is not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's not what he says. The message is fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. So let me just stop there with that first part. Part of the Gospel message is that the judgment of God is coming. You know, John Bunyan captures that in the city of destruction. Christian, what does he do? He wakes up to the fact that he's living in the city of destruction. We're doomed for judgment. And so the part of the Gospel message is that the judgment of God is coming. And all who do not give glory to God, all who do not submit themselves to them, all who do not come to the Father through the Son will be judged most severely. You know, we like to think of the Gospel as being good news. And it is, right? In fact, that's what the word Gospel literally means. Good news. And the reason that it's good news is because of the bad news of our sin. The bad news of the judgment that you and I deserve for our sin. You know, the world, it really does not want to hear anything about that. They don't want to hear about that at all. And so, so the world at the end will be much like it was before when God judged the world in the days of Noah. In fact, you remember, Jesus said it would be just like that. Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39, and Luke 17, verses 26 through 27. I'm just going to read the ones in Matthew from Matthew 24. Uh, Jesus says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So who are the ones Who are the ones on earth supposed to fear? 
Who's the one that they are supposed to worship? What's the answer of our text here? You notice this? The the, the warning here. They're warned that they must worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. So obviously it's it's the God of creation, right? The the God who made all things. The the universe and all that is in it. They, They are to worship the One who made all things by the word of His power in the space of six days and all very good. And, and this is significant, as, as far as I'm concerned, because we, we live in a world that denies this very fact. And yet this fact will be driven home with great finality and severity. That our God is the Creator. And as such, all of mankind, we all owe our obedience and our worship to Him, whether we're believers or not. Believers and unbelievers alike owe God their obedience and their worship because He's the Creator. We all owe our existence to Him, and therefore we are required to worship Him and to serve Him. But when it comes to the second coming, as that time grows near and near, the world lives in really a foolish apathy, an apathy of self-righteousness, an apathy of contempt. And, of course, the Word tells us that. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Peter says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. That's how they look at things. Now, while it's true that this announcement by the angel is a warning to those who dwell on the earth, those who sit on the earth, if you will, it's not a warning to the people of God. Not in the same way. To those who are in Christ, to those who follow the Lamb of God, this announcement of the coming day of judgment is the day of eternal good tidings of great joy for all people, for all of us who are in Christ. Because this will be the day of our full deliverance in Christ. It will be the fulfillment of what the prophet says in Malachi chapter 4, verses 1-3. through And it has both sides of it here. Uh, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch means it's a totality of judgment. That's how it will be for the wicked. But then you go to verse 2. But to you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings, and you shall shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. That's what we're looking forward to. That great day of the Lord. That wonderful day when the promises of God will finally attain to that blessed fulfillment fulfillment that you and I have longed for. The fulfillment that will last forever and ever. Or to use a phrase that I I like to use, uh, we're looking forward to that day when God will bring about the glorious consummation in Christ. Or maybe we'll put it like the hymn writer puts it so well. uh, The joy that we have. What a day that shall be. When my Jesus, I shall see. That's what we're looking forward to. But another angel appears. Verse 8. Making another great and terrible announcement of warning to the world that refuses the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Revelation 14.8 And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. 
because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. This, this is an announcement of the future, if you'll notice here, that's really spoken of as if it's already happened. And so that's really in keeping with the certainty of the event. That the fall of Babylon is so certain that it is spoken of by this second angel as if it's already happened. The truth is that Babylon has so infected the people of this world that it really renders the people of this world incapable of of even listening, giving any heed to that first angel's declaration of the gospel. They don't want to have it. They have ears, but they don't care. And if you'll notice here, the repetition of the word fallen, Babylon is fallen, fallen. It, It underscores the certainty of Babylon's future demise. It is as good as done. Now, of course, when when you and I first probably think of Babylon, we usually think of the empire of Nebuchadnezzar, right? But really, Babylon as such is is a symbol of all the wicked world systems of mankind. And the fulfillment of the destruction of this symbolic Babylon, the world systems of mankind, is assured beyond a shadow of a doubt by God's judgment of the historical Babylon, which we're told would be desolate forever and, and never rise again. Uh, if you remember some of those Old Testament prophecies, uh, if you l- listen to what Jeremiah says in chapter 50, verse 35, and then I'll drop down to verses 39 and 40. Jeremiah 50, uh, verse 35. A sword is against the Chaldeans, says the Lord, against the inhabitants of Babylon and against her princes and her wise men. War is coming. And then in verses 39 and 40, Therefore the wild desert beast shall dwell there with the jackals. And the ostriches shall dwell in it. It shall be inhabited no more forever, nor shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord, so no one shall reside there, nor son of man dwell in it. And so this prophecy that's being made against Babylon in the Old Testament, it actually finds its ultimate fulfillment in the judgment and destruction of the world's systematic oppression and opposition and persecution of the church of Jesus Christ. And that all comes about through the destruction of Babylon the Great, the great harlot that we will see later on in chapter 17, Lord willing. But let me add more here about that Babylon. Because as the harlot that we're going to look at in chapter 17, we, we should realize Babylon promises security and prosperity to all who will drink her intoxicating wine, the intoxicating wine of her harlotries. In fact, we're told there that she made them drink this wine, right? As the text says. That if they want to maintain economic security, they must drink her wine. And once they drink it down, the the nations will come under her wicked and, and intoxicating influence. And this drinking down of her wines of harlotries will remove any resistance to her real destructive influence. It will blind them to the fact that ultimately they have no security with Babylon at all because Babylon is doomed to destruction. And so at the same time, not only are they blind to what Babylon really is, they're blinded to God and to the Lamb of God as the real source, the only source of security. And they're completely and totally insensitive to any fear of the coming judgment. They don't think about it at all. It doesn't enter their minds at all. But the judgment of God is coming. 
We see this idea in Isaiah 29, verse 9. Pause and wonder. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep. Or as it says in the New Testament, God will give them uh, strong delusion to believe the lie, right? We see the same thing in the, in the prophecies of the prophet Hosea, where Israel is actually portrayed as a harlot. Listen to the Word of God in Hosea chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols, and their staff informs them. For the spirit of a harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against their God. In the Old Testament, harlotry always really spoke of spiritual adultery against God, turning away from Him. It was always dealt with idolatry. And you'll notice how harlotry, turning from God, always leads to idolatry which is kind of the central thought here in verse 8 in our text. These nations have lived luxuriously. Literally, it means sensuously, basely, without thought of God, without thought of judgment. And that's going to say that later on in chapter 18. But now the nations weep, we're told. They mourn. Why? Because Babylon has fallen. And why do they weep? Because really, the fall of Babylon signals their own imminent downfall as well. All that they trusted in, all that they relied on in this world, it all comes to nothing. The fall of Babylon is a warning. It's a forerunner, if you will, of the final world collapse and the unstoppable, universal judgment of God upon this world system. That's what's coming. When Babylon is judged, so are all those who have remained under her influence. In fact, the drunkenness of the world itself in following this harlot, that's part of the judgment itself. That's part of the judgment upon them. Well, that's only two angels. We still got one angel to go here. The third angel appears in verses 9 and 10 uh, to announce that very judgment on all those who follow the harlot Babylon. All those who are attached to this world, they will perish with this world. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. It's pretty clear, isn't it? That if you choose to serve Satan, the dragon, the serpent then you'd expect to suffer the consequences of being His follower. If you follow the ways of this world, then you should expect to suffer the consequences of being a follower of this world. It is as it says in in 1 John 2.17, the world is passing away and the lust of it. It's all going to be judged. And all who follow it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. In fact, you might remember there in uh, 1 John, in, in John's first epistle, the very... Next thing he speaks of after the verse 17, telling us that the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The very next thing he speaks of is what? The Antichrist. And so the, the warning is clear once again to any and all who have ears to hear. You cannot sin. You cannot go the way of this world and get away with it. The wrath of God will be visited on those who worship the beast, who follow the ways of this world, who follow 
the harlot Babylon. But beloved, I do have good news for you. Because right now, here on earth, this wrath of God that is still coming, already coming in bits and pieces, it's mixed with grace. That you and I, we live in a very special time when the gospel is going forth to the four corners of the earth. It's a message that's given for all to hear. And right now, the Lord makes His sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5.45. Right now, the gospel is going forth with the power of the Spirit as the Lord claims those who are His. But you see, the day is coming. That's the warning. The day is coming in hell when the wrath of God will be poured out pure and unmixed. And it will be unending torment of fire and brimstone. And this wrath of God that is coming is so thoroughly just, it's so thoroughly righteous, that we're told it occurs in the presence of the angels and the Lamb of God. Now think about that just for a moment. The merciful and gracious Jesus who weeps over the lost, who lovingly calls the weary to come to Him to find rest, will agree with the punishment that it is just, that it is righteous to all who do not come to Him. And so will we. We will agree. And we should not miss the fact, beloved, that this judgment... It's an important point here. It's kind of falling by the wayside. This judgment never ends according to the very vivid language that's expressed here in verse 11. There's no annihilation of the wicked where they cease to exist. There is only everlasting punishment where the worm never dies and the fire is not quenched. That's how Jesus put it in the Gospels. And the fact that this never-ending punishment awaits those who persecute the church and who hate the Lord, that should encourage believers. That should encourage you and I to hold out, to keep holding on when we're under affliction, when we're under trial, when we're under persecution, as we're going to see next. I mean, even if we are put to death, even if believers are put to death because we keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ, we are assured of this, that our blessedness in Christ will more than make up for all of that. We've already seen this. We've already got a picture of that in the first five verses of chapter 14. But we're going to see it again here in verses 12 and 13. That's what we're going to look at next. The blessing of the redeemed in verses 12 and 13. Listen to what it says in verse 12. <coughs> here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So the previous warnings of the three angels are not just intended to warn the wicked. They're also intended to, to motivate believers, to motivate you and I to persevere in the faith. And so what that really means here is that verse 12 is kind of like the main point of this section that we're looking at tonight. And, and it's really similar to chapter 13, where if you remember, we, we, t- we looked at the, the worshipers of the beast who worship his image, that is those who have the mark of the beast on their foreheads and their right hands. And, and this is followed by what? What follows right after that? A reference to the persevering faith of believers, which enables them not to be deceived by the beast, not to take his mark upon them. 
And so it is here. The point for us to see as those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, is for us to realize that the divine judgment that is coming on the wicked, on those who follow the beast, is far greater. That divine judgment is far, far greater than any persecution that you and I might have to endure in this life. What we may go through in this life doesn't even begin to compare with what the wicked are going to endure for all eternity. As I've said before, we need to remember that, I don't know where I picked this up at, but this world is the only heaven the wicked will ever know. And this world is the only hell that believers, you and I, will ever have to endure. But this judgment that God of God that is coming on the wicked, though, it, it doesn't come out of any motive for revenge on God's part. It's solely to show that the Christian cause, the cause of Christ, is the true cause. And to glorify and to vindicate the name of God. A name which has been blasphemed by the beast and all of his helpers and all of his followers. They are only getting, as they endure this, they are only getting what they deserve. But there's more to consider. Who are these saints who need to be patient? Who are these saints who who need to persevere in the midst of these trials and judgments that are coming upon the world? We're told that they are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And, And that's almost exactly what it said back in chapter 12 of those whom the dragon, remember, went off to make war against, right? That is, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. A little different. And of course, the phrase commandments of God, that's, that's a really a reference to the objective revelation of the old and new covenants to which God's people, the faithful, remain loyal. We remain loyal to His Word. We follow Him. We obey Him. And, and the faith of Jesus, it could be translated the faith from Jesus. Uh, which again, it would refer to the doctrinal content of the Christian faith as the Lord Himself has given it to us in His teachings and in His preaching, as well as the teachings and preachings of His apostles. And so the point here is that you and I as Christians, we are to reproduce the very same faithfulness of Christ to His Father that He did in face of all the temptations uh, in a, that would come to us in this world by the world's ungodly norms of living. We don't want to follow that system. We could be tempted to do that, and we are to follow our Lord and Savior. We are to keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. So as believers, you and I, we we desire to fulfill the Father's will. We, We want His will, not ours, to become a reality in our lives. Uh, The idea of patience or endurance, it emphasizes that the faith that we have in Christ, if it is true faith, it's not a temporary faith. It's it's not the false faith of James chapter 2. It's not the false faith of the soils that we read about in, in Matthew 13 of the hard ground and the stony ground and the thorny ground. It's the faithful soil of the good ground that produces a good crop. The one that endures through constant watchfulness. That's what Jesus is talking about. And we have this idea, I think, sometimes that, you know, it's kind of built into our thinking, well, I'm saved, right? I, I, I don't have anything to worry about anymore. I, it's all taken care of. We can have a false assurance, a presumptive assurance. But you see, these warnings that we've just gone over here, 
And the warnings that we find of Jesus in the Gospels reminding us to watch and to pray, to to be alert and to be ready for His coming. These all make it clear that that's not the case. The day is coming. And the door will be shut. And those who are sleeping will not go in. Because they were not ready for the Lord's return and they will be left outside. I'd like to point out those sobering words uh, from Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Words that uh, should put fear in every pastor. Matthew 7, 21-23, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of My Father in heaven, many will say to Me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Your name? Cast out demons in Your name? Done many wonders in Your name? What does Jesus say? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We also have those telling words from Jesus about the five virgins with no oil in their lamps, right? And what they, where did they find themselves? Outside the door. And the door was shut. Matthew 25, verses 11-13. through 13, Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And then Jesus adds these words, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Are you among those who know the Lord? I mean, not just know about Him. Do you know Him? Do you commune with Him? Do you love Him? Do you know Him intimately? Or are you among those who practice lawlessness? How we live tells whether we really know the Lord or not. Now let's move on to verse 13 here. The last verse of our text tonight. John says this, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. If we as Christians remain faithful and loyal to the Lamb, then we will suffer in this present world. But afterward, we are promised that we will gain an unbelievable reward of eternal rest, the eternal rest of glory. And so our desire to to persevere, that desire is not only motivated by the warning of the judgment that we're told is coming upon the rest of the world, we're, we're to keep that in mind, but it's also our desire to persevere is also motivated by the reward that we are promised as those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And this is made clear there in verse 13. Those who persevere in the face of death will be blessed. And, and this blessing is not just for martyrs in the faith. It's for those who who die of natural causes as well. And and the reason I say that is because the emphasis is on those who die in the Lord. It's not on any particular way in which they die. It's the fact that they die in the Lord. They persevere to the end. People of God, as we resist the world, as we resist the beast and the dragon, as we live our lives now in conformity to the Word of God, as we follow the Lamb wherever He goes, Yes, you and I are going to face troubles and persecutions. There are going to be trials, struggles. But you see, the good news is what God has in store for us in Christ. It will make it seem like everything that we've gone through was nothing. 
As I believe I said last time, all the sufferings of this life will be like a dream in the night that's forgotten. As we enter into the presence of the Lord and enjoy life, eternal life, life as it was meant to be, and as it will always be for those who are in Christ. Paul sums that up, Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Not just around us, a glory that's revealed in us. And and you'll notice here, the, the reason that we're blessed is because we're identified with the Lord by faith. We're united to Him by faith, and therefore we die in the Lord. In fact, we should remember this is the same path that our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, He trod this same path Himself. He was rewarded after death for His endurance, for His perseverance. And so will we as those who deny self and take up the cross and follow Him. Because you see, Christ is our corporate head. He's our federal representative. And all that's His becomes ours because you and I were united to Him by faith. Without that faith, we're not united to Him at all. Outside of Christ, there is nothing but wrath and curse and punishment. To quote from uh, yesterday's memorial service, Agnes used to say, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. You have nothing. But in Christ, we're saved from the wrath to come, and we are promised that we will enjoy the glories that will follow. So, so let me sum up, beloved, here. The main point of this section is the reward of the faithful as we see it here in these last two verses, verses 12 and 13. The intent, the goal, the, uh, the reason for the judgment theme that we've looked at here in verses 6 through 11 is to warn us as believers that we're not to compromise with this world system. We're not to compromise with the dragon or the beast lest we too fall into the judgment that's coming upon them. Instead, we will rest from our labors when the Lord returns in great power and glory to judge the living and the dead. That's when we rest. Remember that uh, when the Apostle Paul, he, he's bringing his argument for the resurrection to a conclusion in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And he not only speaks of that victory over death that is ours in Christ, because Christ has won the victory, but he also concludes with these words. The last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let me close with the further words of warning for us. Words that come from Jesus from the Gospel, Matthew 24 where he's speaking about the end to come, verses 45 through 51. And he reminds us that we need to be watchful, we need to be faithful. And he says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him 
And at an hour when he is not aware of, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what the end of the age is going to be like. Wrath and punishment for the wicked, but rest and reward for the righteous, for all those who are in Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. It will be so. Let's pray.